Here's what's coming up on today's episode. I was at the point where I had to take a second job. And um, that was because I was living alone in Toronto. And it was just, it was just way too much. Like with my student loans and, you know, a debt that I had accrued just from being paid so little in the early days. Um, you know, it, it wasn't long term. It wasn't a plan for me just to have my nine to five salary. So I had to um, find a second job and I worked two jobs, almost both full time hours, actually, um, for two years, about two years. Welcome to the Crying in the Bathroom podcast with your co-host. I'm Beth Barodi and I'm Heather McDonald. This is a podcast for women who have experienced the career highs, lows, and everything in between. So let's talk about them together. Join us while we share personal stories of our own, as well as bringing on some amazing guests to share their stories. We'll cover everything from corporate to nonprofit, parents and non-parents, promotions and job hunting, and so much more. Whether you're listening to us on your walk to the grocery store, while you're getting ready for work, or as you sit on the cold bathroom floor. Because let's face it, we've all been there. We're just happy you joined us. day-to-day job is also dealing with a really heavy topic. Oh gosh, yeah. You're you're helping people um, who are battling cancer or helping the loved ones of those who have lost somebody uh, to cancer. Yeah. How do you how do you get through your day without <laughs> crying? Like, like the strength you have is unbelievable. I'm just so curious about yeah, how do you deal with oh, such heavy man. topics? It is, um, yeah, it's a challenge. Uh, so I work at Pancreatic Cancer Canada. Pancreatic cancer is the third leading cancer killer in Canada. Um, it is, uh, you know, boasts this super high mortality rate. It's an 8% long-term survival rate, um, which is just, you know, it's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking for families. It is heartbreaking for patients, of course. And, you know, so the work that we are doing is so critically important. Um, We fund so much, we fund a lot of research. That's our main funding priority, Um, as well as uh, support services, uh, like our peer support program, which is um, specialized, all the volunteers that, that, you know, spend their time with that program, have had personal experience with pancreatic cancer. Um, so, so yeah, it is, it is a definitely a heavy topic on the day to day. One of the, one of the, you know, real things that I love the most about my job is that, um, you know, being the director of marketing and communications, I speak to patients, I speak to caregivers and survivors and researchers, and I t- am able to tell their stories. And that is a privilege that I do not take lightly. It's something that I'm very, um, very passionate about and always try to be very careful with um, because those stories are deeply personal. But there are people that we talk to and families that we, you know, help and we know, um, we know of who, you know, they, they lose their loved ones. They, you know, there's patients that we have met that have passed away and, 
that is always so heartbreaking. It's always a tough day in the office. Um, it is always this like highly unfortunate reminder of why we do what we do. And, you know, one of the, as I mentioned before, like one of the things that's really wonderful about where I work is that we're a very close knit team. Um, and so like, if you need a minute, you take a minute. And when something like that happens or we get, or we hear of someone that has, you know, some bad news or maybe a, um, prognosis that is really tough to handle. Like we tend to handle that as a team and it, it is, it is something that, you know, emboldens us even more to do what we do and to talk about the disease, how we talk about it. And, you know, we are, you know, when your survival rate, when your long-term survival rate is 8%, um, it does deserve um, bold messaging. It does deserve attention, um, which is why, like, our our tagline is, we've raised enough sympathy. It's time to raise the survival rate because that's that's what it is. We we need more funding for research. Um, the <laughs> pancreatic cancer has had um, so few advancements. It's been stagnant for a very long time because of lack of research. Um, and, you know, we're working to change that. And we're starting to see these marginal, like not marginal, actually. It's like they are improvements. There are things that are happening now. And we're really like building that foundation so we can understand more about this disease and why it's so aggressive. Um, and certainly a, a big piece of that is early detection. Um, we're also learning, uh, a lot about the disease and how, um, personal it is, the genetic makeup of tumors and how we can personalize treatment plans for patients. Um, so there, there are a lot of exciting clinical trials and a lot of exciting research that's happening right now and even more on the horizon. Like there, there's a lot that we're excited about, um, and that we're looking to fund in the next couple of years. And, and that is, you know, what makes this so rewarding. And I think it's, I think it's one of those things too, that, you know, people don't necessarily think about it in the perspective of when you make a gift to a cancer organization like ours or, or, any other it's like you're not just investing in in the interim you're not just investing in these patients that are on the clinical trials right now and benefiting from them you are investing in public health you are investing in the research that could one day save your neighbor or you know or a family member um so you know, that, that is why it's so important. And that's why I, I'm so dedicated to the job that I do and why I am very fortunate to work with people who are experts in their field and who are just as passionate and dedicated as I am. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it is a lot <laughs> sometimes. Um, and there are definitely days where I just, you know, need to close. Luckily I have an office, so I just kind of close the office door and, um, you know, let myself have a moment, let myself cry, you know, and then get back together again and keep at it because that's just what has to be done. If people did want to donate, uh, where do they donate? Mm. Where do they make a gift? Yeah, absolutely. Um, they go to uh, pancreaticcancercanada.ca. Um, there is a big yellow button right up at the top on the right. 
um, to make a donation. And really any donation of any size helps us move our mission forward and, you know, really make that change and raise the rate of survival for pancreatic cancer patients and their families. listening to crying in the bathroom because let's face it we've all been there i think so you have I, there's so much that you have mentioned in the last 39 minutes that my head is almost like <laughs> has it been right that now, long like, with questions but i think you know you work in the nonprofit space um, both heather and i have experience working in the nonprofit space my career also started out in fundraising and, and fundraising in the cancer space as well. Um, I worked for the mm. Canadian Cancer Society for many, many years in their fundraising department. Um, and donations are obviously the way that organizations operate. It goes to their programming, but also to staffing, which lends to the nonprofit space notoriously being under-resourced um, because obviously Absolutely. a lot of those, that funding you want to go to the projects, to the research, that sort of thing. Um, and you also mentioned two stories, the one you're crying in the bathroom story with this kind of feeling of you're not stressed enough, therefore something must like you're not taking this seriously enough that that in itself, um, I've, I have felt that in the nonprofit sector before, like this feeling of needing mm-hmm. to always be very high stressed and very, you know, buzzing. And then also the story you mentioned when you found out about Paul's passing about your the people that you were with not giving the leeway to stop working, but you can have a, a, a small break, but you got to keep going. Um, and I feel like that also lends to kind of this culture in the nonprofit sector. You're under-resourced. Everyone's expected to wear multiple hats. You're mm-hmm. um, most likely underpaid compared to other industries. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And hearing you talk about your passion for this, is it's certainly clear why you do what you do. Mm-hmm. But can you like talk to us a bit about those challenges of, you know, constantly needing to carry that stress and, and knowing yeah. that you could probably be going elsewhere and making way more money and uh, not have that stress. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, okay, like anyone in the not-for-profit sector, that thought crosses my mind, like, <laughs> probably really? on a weekly basis. Um, you know, that is, I, I think you had, like, hit the nail on the head there. It is, there, there's a lot, there are a lot of challenges when it comes to staffing um, and just, you know, being considered overhead. And I'm saying this from my personal experience, not necessarily on behalf of the organization, but from my experience, um, one of the greatest challenges in the not-for-profit sector today is, um, is staffing and is resourcing and how we think about um, staff and staff retention. Like, um, one of the greatest, one of the greatest, sorry, you keep talking, one of the greatest issues. There are so many issues, apparently. <laughs> but, but, um, but what I mean by that is, uh, is that charities are under a microscope and, you know, rightly so in the sense where, you know, it, we should be held accountable in terms of how we spend money. And I, I, I don't debate that at all. Um, but there is this pressure that, as you said, you want your donation to go straight to the research and and you want your straight your, to go straight to the services. And I, I also understand that. Um, but I think that there is so much benefit 
and giving to an organization that pays their employees a living wage um, and, you know, provides benefit and pension opportunities because staff retention is one of the things that really I have seen in in some areas um, can lead to challenges in just program delivery. Um, You know, staff, one of the, one of the easiest ways or only ways really to get a significant raise, it feels in the not-for-profit sector organizations. And whenever that happens, um, you are losing so much institutional knowledge. So it is, it is becoming more and more rare, I would say, especially among young professionals, to see people that have been at a, a certain not-for-profit for longer than I would say like maybe four or five years. Usually it's even less than that, two to three years, because the pay increase is never enough to like really even often keeping up with, you know, the price of of inflation and, and cost of living. Um, so, you know, I'm very, and I can say this very proudly because it's something that is really a cause for, or not necessarily a cause, I wouldn't necessarily say a cause, but it is something that is um, very important to our CEO at PCC, Michelle Capabianco, that, you know, staff are paid properly because she understands the, um, you know, the merits of that. The fact that when you retain staff, you you are also retaining all of the institutional knowledge, all the relationships that they have built and the passion that they bring to their roles. And so in that sense, I'm very fortunate um, to work in an organization where the leadership and the board, you know, believe in that. Um, and, and, you know, it also kind of speaks to, you know, if you are giving your donation, um, I think that it's, it's important to also want the best experts, the people who are leading their field um, to be working on this cause that you care about. And that's what that that helps enable is, um, you know, I can, I can give an example of like when I was working at another organization and I was, I was still early in my career, I would say, actually, I mean, I've maybe been working there for about three or four years. And um, I was at the point where I had to take a second job and um, that was because I was living alone in Toronto and it was just, it was just way too much. Like with my student loans and, you know, a debt that I had accrued just from being paid so little in the early days, um, you know, it, it wasn't long term. It wasn't a plan for me just to have my nine to five salary. So I had to um, find a second job and I worked two jobs, almost both full-time hours actually, um, for two years, about two years. Um, so I would go in at, you know, from eight to four, work my nonprofit job and in the evenings go to the Eaton Center and work at American Eagle. And let me tell you, like, I'm tired just thinking about those days. <laughs> like that was exhausting. Um, just having to do that. And it was really, it was really disheartening also. Um, you know, like the raises I would get would be like maybe a couple thousand dollars, but like, I remember time I was given a raise and it put me into another tax bracket Mm -hmm. and I wasn't eligible for repayment assistance on my OSAP loans anymore. So I was actually bringing home less money. And so like things like that, where it, it creates on top of, you know, all of the emotion that typically goes into, your work on a day-to-day basis, working for all of these like really worthy causes to go home and then be 
stress about money and be thinking again, like I am great at my job in this space, but maybe I just need to look out for myself and I need to go and find a a for-profit job. And that kind of brain drain is something that is going to be really detrimental in the future um, to the not-for-profit sector if that doesn't change. Um, And like our whole mentality about giving and what we consider, um, you know, fair uh, you know, as much as we want to think that people who work for the not-for-profit sector just do it out of the kindness of their hearts. Yes, they do. But they also have these amazing skills that they bring to this role that deserve a proper compensation that is livable and that is, um, you know, indicative of everything that they that they bring um, and the benefit to the organization. So, uh, so yeah, so those were those years, especially where I was working those two jobs, like it was a very um, challenging time. I was still doing my schooling then too. Um, And dating like all of God, like it was just, it was a crazy couple of years. I feel Um, like you must be like superwoman (laughs) or something like that is like, that is draining to think about. Like, yeah. And and I will say like, again, it's, it speaks to your character and I know you and Heather know each other really well. And I feel like I'm, I'm, playing catch up right here, learning about all of these things in such like a short period of time. And like, it speaks to your character that you, that you are staying in this space, because I will be very honest. I got out of the nonprofit space because I was like, fuck this. I am tired of making such little money. I'm going and making money. I'll give back. I'll do that. I'll donate. But like, nah, I'm not doing like, I'm out. See you later. I'm out. I'm not, and I'm not going back to, to that sector because, um, I, like, it was too little. It was too little for yeah. the amount of work that was going in and for, for the pay that was happening. And so it certainly speaks to, to, to your character and to who you are to oh, be able to you. see these challenges, still, still work in the space and still advocate for, hey, we need to make sure that people are paid properly. To stay yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that. And that's very, that's very generous of you to say. And I, I just, I think that, um, you know, in the future, it really does a disservice to um, the causes that are so important to our whole society. Um, And these people who have chosen to, you know, devote their lives to advancing those causes and to funding research, to um, helping people who are houseless. Like, it's, you know, just to kind of get out of the cancer space. But there are so many worthy charities and, and people who are passionate about those causes. And I think that more and more like our conception about what um you know what they should be paid or or the administration of that it just needs to needs to change it needs to evolve um yeah and i <laughs> this is this is the point where i'm like i could start rambling again so <laughs> there's um there is something with the with the talent that's in nonprofit because even going over to the profit side I have found that some of the smartest people and people that I go to and ask for advice or even bring in on projects that I'm working on in in kind of the public company space come from nonprofit Mm. because I feel like the nonprofit space has set has this like it breeds this unique kind of systems thinking or people um, connecting dots far more than. Uh, what I've oh, yeah. seen in the for-profit space. And so there is just like this massive knowledge talent pool about how people think, the creativity, the problem-solving solutions, 
um, that just lives in the nonprofit space that I wish we had far more of um, in the in the for profit space because we are lacking in that area. People get really <laughs> pigeonholed and like this is my job, this is what I can do. I go right. Where I think kind of the scrappiness that nonprofits have lends to like being more creative. So there definitely just needs to be a better bridge and kind of crossover of those that knowledge sharing skill. Absolutely. And I feel like that's like that it that is so it. Like they're the people that work in the nonprofit space, especially those that stay like that stay and, and that are that develop there, like yourself in terms of your career. Like there's this resourcefulness that is just like you know, becomes ingrained in, in who you are. And I have met some of the most hardworking, um, passionate people working in the not-for-profit sector. Of course, there are those days where I'm just like, you know what, I would love to just work nine to five. I would love to just, you know, to make a good wage and have seven weeks of vacation or whatever. <laughs> but, um, you know, but that's also why I say like, I'm very fortunate to work where I do is I, I feel like, you know, I, I'm, I'm compensated at least fairly. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly compensated. I have a good, um, pension and good benefits and, you know, I do have four weeks vacation now and like we shut down between Christmas and New Year's, which is, you know, really a lovely thing. And I think that's, that is something that, um, a lot of nonprofits, um, do despite it being, you know, kind of one of the busier times of the year, obviously, because people do their end of year giving, but, um, uh, I've just, I'm really grateful for, um, the mentality of where I work, the, the ethos of our organization, um, in that in all ways, in terms of how we deliver our, our message, deliver our programs and our research and how we treat staff, you know, as much as possible, it's a person first kind of organization. And, and I'm really proud. I'm really proud to work there. Um, and that's why I've been there for the last, you know, going on four years, it'll be four years this spring. And, and I've grown there significantly and they have, given me a lot as much opportunity as I have ever wanted and we're a small team we're um you know I think at right now we're about eight eight or nine um so uh very nimble to say the least um it gives us that opportunity to be a little bit more bold and to take more chances um and one of the other things I really like is that we're a digital first organization so because the organization itself is quite Young. It started out as a uh, volunteer-led organization uh, about 15 years ago, um, and in the last six or seven years, has developed to become a professional-led non-for-profit. And so we don't have walks. We don't have a big direct mail program. Um, a lot of those things that we're seeing now in the sector that are evolving um, and changing, or are you know, if I can just speak plainly are uh, in some ways declining um we have you know really innovative partnerships with other with companies and other organizations um we just did this amazing campaign with a organization um based out of new york and toronto uh called kernels which helps um these philanthropic champions so really anyone um can become a, a champion um and connects them with 
researchers. So you get a little bit of behind the scenes um, uh, knowledge of what's happening. Um, and then they, you know, ask for donations. So they, they fundraise on behalf of the research. And so we've been working with them um, through Giving Tuesday and through the holiday season. Um, and it's, you know, it's something that is just because we're small, because um, we have a board that is very united in our mission, that we're able to take some of these chances. We're able to try some new things. Um, and that makes it a lot of fun. Uh, it can also sometimes be a little stressful. Uh, you know, we move very fast. We operate as much as possible like a startup. Um, and as we're kind of growing now, though, that'll start to change a little bit. But um, I don't think that that kind of entrepreneurial spirit that we have as an organization is something that is going to change. I think that that's something that we'll be able to retain, retain, <laughs> retain my gosh, my bad word mouth, um, <laughs> going forward. So, um, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to, to see what the future brings for us and, um, you know, really more than anything, just so excited to be a part of, um, the change that's going to come uh, for the pancreatic cancer community because, you know, when I first started there, that was the thing that was most prominent to me that I kind of saw right off the bat is just like, like, holy crap, like this research is so innovative and I have the opportunity to join this organization and bring people on side and really be at the ground level as we make huge advancements in this disease. And that was just, it was such a special opportunity. And it's something that I'm getting shivers even just now, kind of knowing, um, you know, the research that we're funding and what's on the horizon. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's very valuable in that sense. Ellie, thank you so much for chatting with us today. We really appreciate you sharing your story and being so open and vulnerable with us. I cannot wait to read your book. I am going to formally uh, request a, an advanced signed copy because I know it's going to be very successful. <laughs> um, but yeah, we just want to thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts for chatting with us. It was so wonderful. Um, Honestly, it's like it's life. such a such an honor and a privilege to be here with both of you. And, you know, I... I love you and like I just I love the podcast too and I, I listen to it with my door open in the office so that everybody pops their head and says what's you listening to so um, yeah no I'm just I'm so grateful to be here so thank you so much um, for chatting for inviting me to chat with you today listening to crying in the bathroom we hope you enjoyed this episode don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on instagram at crying in the bathroom podcast thanks again for joining Thank you.